Welcome to the Suffering Podcast. Each week, we walk you through how suffering is the way to sustainable success and the path to greatness. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many more. Visit thesufferingpodcast.com for complete details. Please subscribe and like to get our latest episodes as soon as they drop. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn for exclusive content. Please comment. We may read your comments on future shows or even reach out to you for a future guest appearance. Let's embrace how suffering forges bonds that last forever, showing we are never alone. So get so ready, get ready, sit down, sit down, and strap it, strap it. Sit your ass down, down. Sit your ass down, down. Let's talk about the suffering. It's time to start the pain. Sit your ass down, down. Sit your ass down, down. Strap it, strap it. This is gonna hurt, gonna hurt. This is gonna hurt, gonna hurt. Let's talk about the suffering. It's time to start the pain. This is gonna hurt. It's time for the Suffering Podcast. Dented Development Project is a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a mission to assist first responders and their families repair dents caused by suffering. Help us support the ones who take care of us selflessly. Dented things can still operate, but may not be as pretty as they once were. Make a difference and go to DentedDevelopmentProject.com to get involved today. Our heroes need our help. All new Suffering Podcast gear is here. The show depends heavily on our supporters to get the word out. Let people know that suffering is a team sport and no one is alone in their struggles. Wearing the Suffering Podcast merchandise accomplishes that goal. Check out our store at thesufferingpodcast.com or check our show notes for the link. Your support and love means everything to us. Our perspectives are based on what is right in front of us every day. They change as time goes on and we grow into adulthood. We forget what it was once like to be a kid. Looking back on childhood, we see only the innocence. That's often the case with memories. The bad fades into obscurity while the good remains. Often saying things like, if I could only be that young. Did we forget the difficulties, the suffering of youth? The raging hormones, the insecurities, the indecisiveness? When our only fact for that belief is because we had no financial responsibilities. There is a freedom in being taken care of by your parents. But that doesn't mean there is no struggle. Most of us have just forgotten what it was like to be that young. I'm Kevin Donaldson here with Mike Felice, and on this episode of The Suffering Podcast, we sit down with my best friend, my son Patrick, to discuss the suffering of kids. Let's take a moment and try to remember what our children go through so that we may be better adults. Patrick, thank you so much for traveling 
all this way to get here. So far. So yeah, far. Had to be a lot of stairs to get here. You know? <laughs> Just walk right down the stairs. Yeah. Probably the easiest booking of any guest we've had in here, Mike. Did he ask for money, though? <laughs> yeah, travel money <laughs> for p- gas. And pizza. And p- <laughs> <laughs> so when there there are certain guests, and we, we, we steer clear of them, that will come in here and ask for certain things, like they're Keith Richards asking for brown M&Ms <laughs> only and stuff. Um, yeah, riders. <laughs> yeah, we're we're a very low budget show, and we usually don't accommodate them, especially the way that they want to. So, before we get into anything, let's get into this week's social media question, and it comes from Mark. Mark says, "What is the most courageous thing you've ever done?" Patrick, you're our guest today. I'd like to hear that. Hear what your most courageous thing you think you've ever done is. It'd be probably stepping up to the line. Line of scrimmage in football. For the first time or for the, the first time you ever did it? or First time I've ever done it. First time I ever did it. It's just really hard and you have to, have to remember everything that you that you do and everything you do in practice. And you have to keep your mind on just the game. Now, how long did it take before you finally relaxed on that line of scrimmage? It probably took a good three or four games before I actually got used to it. I'm one of... Patrick's coaches. I'm the offensive and defensive line coach. One of the reasons that I go through repetition in practice when I'm coaching you is so when you step up on that line, I already know that there's going to be some trepidation, some nervousness about you facing off against a kid across from you who you never met. So I don't want you to start thinking about, oh my God, what's what's my play scheme? Where do I block? Who do I get? What's the adjustments I have to make? I want you to be so used to doing that it becomes automatic. Well, that's muscle memory. Correct. Correct. You know, once you go through it once, if you go through it in practice, it comes up into your head like, hey, I remember this before. Correct. Now, yeah. the second year you played, was it, it a little easier? It was a lot easier because I did have that muscle memory. And uh, also, it, I actually knew what I was doing and I learned some new techniques. What's, the, what's your favorite technique on the offensive line? And Pull- don't tell them any of the bad ones that I taught you. Probably pulling. Pulling. Oh, pulling is the best. See, as a D, you were a D-back, right, Mike? Yeah. You don't get the joy. There's very few joys in the world of linemen. See, I, I mean, I was a, a running back also, so I used to run behind those pulling guards and pulling oh. tackles, and, that, and you know, you ride their ass and just, you know, the grab on and go. So when when we played, football was a lot different than when you played. There, you were allowed there. to hit people when we played. Yeah. <laughs> now no. they got to watch for CTs and concussions yeah. and everything. Back in the day, when you pulled and you're you're running in front of a linebacker or running back. Oh man, you used to be able to light people up. Well, you know, I mean, and that was a good thing about being running back. You you see these pulling linemen like just clear out a linebacker. It's like oh, daylight, daylight, right? <laughs> yeah, and you just run right up the hole. But I always say that linemen are the unsung heroes of the whole football field, especially. Oh, that, that, that's with that. I mean, that's without a doubt. They are the unsung heroes. I mean, when was a lineman a, an MVP at a Super Bowl? That's the problem I have. And so in, in Patrick, when Patrick first started, and he started, you were in third grade when you first started, yeah. on that football field, you take anybody who's big or not fast and you stick them on the line. It's not, you put, it's not their position. It's kind of like, I don't have anywhere else to put him, so let me put him on the line. It's like right field in baseball. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, put him in right field. Patrick, you played right field in baseball, right? No. <laughs> second base. My job, I didn't, see, I didn't really start seeing the value of linemen until I got into high school. And then once I saw the value, and in college it was even impressed upon me even further, my job as a coach is to show the linemen that you guys are the most important people on the field, you guys have your value, and I bring the quarterback over and I say, you better thank 
I tell the quarterback, you better thank these linemen because without these guys, you're going to get crushed. I mean, you you hear all these these stories. Boomer Sison, you know, I listen to him all the time in WFA, and he used to take his line out every Thursday night for dinner. I know one quarterback used to get him isotoner gloves. Yeah. Dan Marino. Dan Marino. There used to be a commercial where he's, I take care of the hands that take care of me, and he got all his linemen isotoner gloves. Turns out it's a really shitty thing for a guy who's making, who's probably at the time $5 million a year to go buy a $20 pair of gloves for his <laughs> linemen. Mike, what do you think your most courageous thing you've ever done is? You know, in law enforcement, I mean, there's a lot of courageous things. I honestly have to say, I think one of the most courageous things is actually being a parent. It's a know, tough it's, thing. It, it's, a, it's a tough thing. It's a, it's a big burden to take on. I think I became a parent at 27 years old, 28 years old, and you don't know if you're ready for it. That's where you- You got to learn on the fly. You really start showing your vulnerability. Oh, without a doubt. Because you're looking at something that you love more than yourself, that you would die for every single day. This kid doesn't get this yet. He yeah. will eventually. That you die for. When you love something more than yourself, you really open yourself up to- Vulnerability, like you said. <laughs> Now, all of a sudden, somebody has something against you they can use against you. If you don't love anything, you don't care about anything, you don't fear anything. But when you love something more than yourself, that's when that's when people can get you. They have leverage on you. For me, the most courageous thing I ever did was asking Mike Felice to be on this show. <laughs> it's probably one of the best things he ever did, too. <laughs> probably telling the story of my shooting. Two, I haven't really got into it with my youngest yet because he's too young, but I have told Patrick. Again, going back to that vulnerability thing, you never want to have your kids see you in any type of less than Superman. Yeah, situation. Your your kid should look at you like you're a hero, like you're a Superman. Like you ask most people, like who's your idol? You know, who mm -hmm. did you look up to? And it's always you know, my father. I was recently put to me that you, every man wants to be the hero of their own household. So when you're telling a story that shows you in less of a hero light. But even Superman had his dark times. If you ever watched Superman 3, he got caught drinking, he was womanizing, you know, he had the, his, his cape got a little dirty, but he eventually did come back. Everybody's got kryptonite. Everybody's going to, I live in a house of kryptonite. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, thank you so much for sending in the question. Keep sending them in and we'll try to get them on the air. So my buddy, Patrick Donaldson, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Well, my name is Patrick Donaldson. I'm 12 years old. I'm in sixth grade. I play baseball, basketball, and football. Are you married? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they, just like every other every other kid growing up throughout the ages, they they're very touchy. They're very, and you try to play on the insecurities. As a parent, it's kind of fun because at twelve years old, to see your kid squirm and yeah. make him uncomfortable, you're hitting puberty, and there's certain <laughs> things going on inside of you. I mean, what do I call you all the time? Pubert. Pubert. <laughs> I'm see, the worst pot father in the world. See, I, I thought like one of the most courageous things that, that Patrick would have went through is watching some of the stupid videos that you put up on, <laughs> on Instagram every once in a while. That's right. And yeah. he he follows us on Instagram. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like, he'll say something and then he'll just like, like oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, the weird thing is that some, some of his friends follow us as well. And th these are kids who I see all the time that I coach. You know, they'll come up to me. I swear to you, they'll come up to me and go, hey, coach, keep suffering. <laughs> oh, God. I, I said, you shouldn't be watching this stuff. <laughs> and there's some of your friends that listen to this show, and I, that, that kind of makes me cringe. There's really only one. Yeah, he will. He will listen to them. So we have one fan out of all of Patrick's friends. <laughs> <laughs> now, Patrick has watched. Patrick has a unique perspective on our show. He has watched this thing from the true genesis to where it is today. 
why don't you tell us? And you, he's our photographer. He is. He's a. He is the studio official photographer. Yeah. He is, listen. Every, every almost every picture that you see on our social media was taken by Patrick. That is true. That is true. He's very good at it. He's very fast. Very fast. Sometimes it's a hard time getting him down here, though. (laughs) He's upstairs playing with Mandy or playing video games, looking on his phone. No, he's in this new thing now where he just curls up on the sofa and plays with his phone. I think he's talking to his girlfriend. I know. I like guys. I told you. You like guys? Hey, well, that's cool. (laughs) That's that. As long as you're not a Yankees fan, I'm cool with it. I told you this. See, now that's where we're going to have an argument now. You know, the Phillies used to break into your house and steal all your Christmas presents. No, that's Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> I've been telling him that since he's about four years old. So what are your thoughts on the Suffering Podcast? Because you've seen it from the beginning to where it is now. Well, it definitely has grown a lot. And it's a really good topic to basically uh, suffer. And then you'll get kind of like a grand prize at the end. You'll be so much better than when, when you started. A grand prize at the end. I like that. Out of we the may have to use that. Out now. of the mouths of babes. From the beginning to now, how 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 do you see it? Because, you know, I've been involved in it, so I can't always see the growth. Like, you don't see yourself growing every day, but I see you growing. So what do you think about the growth of the show? The growth of the show has actually has really grown a lot. It has way more interesting topics than I mean, I get at the beginning, it was just like kind of an introduction to everything. But now the people you have on the show and the topics you have are really, really interesting. Do you, do you realize the show really took off after uh, <laughs> episode nine, I think it was? <laughs> episode nine. Oh, episode, episode nine. Episode nine. Yeah. <laughs> it, it just really like started, I mean, before it was boring. I listened to like the first eight episodes and I was like, yeah. <laughs> and episode nine came around and uh, let me tell you, I wanted to be a... Air traffic control. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to show you something, Patrick. How many how many listens? Or, uh, this week alone, how many listens has episode nine got? Because I know you track. Oh, I, I couldn't even tell you. <laughs> it's at least 15 views. At least, yeah. Probably 10 of them are by him. <laughs> <laughs> so you're definitely- is just so jealous. It's, it, it's really what it comes down to. I mean, I don't, look, look at him and look at me. I don't promote just my show. I'm, I'm a giving person. So I get I promote all the shows. You have but episode nine more than others. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like when I first came to you and I said, Yeah, I'm starting this podcast. I told you the name, the Suffering Podcast. What did you think about it initially? I honestly thought it was just gonna be like one thing and then after a little bit it was kinda just gonna fade off. But it, it was just gonna be a flash in the pan in other words. Yeah, kinda. Yeah. But it actually took off really well and you had some big people on here. So who's your most, who's your favorite person that you met when they came in here besides Mike? <laughs> oh, back in uh, back in February of uh... <laughs> February of 2021. <laughs> uh, who's your favorite guest that we've had in here that you've met? Probably Lee Rusan. Lee Rusan. I was going to say, was there someone that walked like all these people come into your house? <laughs> was there someone that walked into your house and you're like, oh my god, that's yeah, Lee Rusan. He has huge hands. Yeah, he, he, he does have some. He's got and he some, had the Super Bowl rings on and everything. That's, yeah, that's impressive. And he'll be in here. He'll be in here next week. I'll, I'll make sure he stops by and says hello to you. Okay. But we also had Lee come and speak. Mike Mike came to uh, your football football, group, practice. football yeah. practice and spoke. Yeah, and so Lee's become a very good friend of the show. He's got a great great story and a very mm-hmm. very inspirational person. He's he's very well spoken. Yep. He's he's got a great message and he's inspiring. What did you think about John Elite? That was cool because I think the uh, mob was actually, is actually pretty interesting. Yeah, I spent a lot of time on the phone with John. He he just like exudes mob. Yes, he know? does. 
the way he walked in, he had like the, the turtleneck shirt on there. Well, he had just come. So I watched, he had just come that day from shooting something in Brooklyn, a TV show. I think it was uh, the Today Show or something. Yeah, it was like Today that. or Good Morning America or, or something like that. And it had just aired at the end of January. And I'm like, hey, I know that, I know that outfit because it was the outfit he had when he came yeah. in here. Yeah. How's it feel to have a contract killer in the house? I mean, it was kind of weird. What you learn very quickly, you have a public persona of somebody and you have the private persona of somebody. Mike and I can attest to this because we spent an extended period of time with John. Him in private, and I probably I probably shouldn't say this on the air, but him in private is so vastly different from what you see on air. He's a nice guy for a killer. Absolutely. He's a, <laughs> he loves to laugh. He loves, he loves to break chops just like we do. Could you jump on a grenade for me? <laughs> I was talking to him the one day and I said, if, if you say anything about this, I'm going to whack you. Your old man told a, told a hitman that he's going to get, he's going to whack him. <laughs> and he starts laughing. That might've been the most courageous thing he's ever done. Yeah, that, there you go. That's what I tell you. Mark, there you go. I changed my answer. Most courageous thing is told a mafia hitman that I was going to uh, whack him. So your definitions of suffering, what did they start out as? Like when you first heard us doing this show, what did you think that was going to be? I thought it was going to be, like, just suffering in general and, like, trying kind of, like, to cope with it. But it's actually more, like, behind the suffering than the actual beginning or going through it. It's going through the suffering and then finishing it. That's what makes you a stronger person. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, let's correlate it to football. You know, you suffer in the trenches the whole game. Then when you win, if you win, (laughs) that's your your grand, like like you said, that's that's your grand prize. Yeah. Look at it this way. I was listening to an interview with Teddy Atlas, who who trained Mike Tyson. And Teddy Atlas said, I think it was on Joe Rogan. So it was, it was a big audience. And Joe Rogan asked him, do you know what Mike Tyson's overall record was? And he goes, I, I don't know. But if you had to ask me what his real record was, it's probably 0-5. No wins, five losses. And he put it this way. Because Mike Tyson was so dominant and so good that he just ran over people. When he was met with a challenge, somebody who's that naturally challenged and never had to work for anything in their life because they could just do it. As soon as he met a challenge, he folded. Buster Douglas. Buster Douglas. And, and so he's probably 0-5. And, and I saw this in your football, and I've said this to you many times, that when you have a naturally talented person and they meet a challenge, they're going to do one of three things. They're going to cheat, they're going to quit, or they're going to rise above. Maybe a combination of a couple of those. Yeah. And we, we've seen this before, and I've pointed this out to you. I said, look, 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 there's a challenge right there. They cheated, or they just gave up. Yeah. And then every once in a while, you get that rare kid, and that's the kid that's going to move forward. And you're not going to rise above on every play, but you got to learn from that. And that that's all part of the suffering. You know, guy beats you on the line. Let's just say, you know, sacks the quarterback. You know, you got to learn what you did. And that's, again, that's all part of suffering. Mm-hmm. You just went through getting beat. Your quarterback's sitting on his ass. His back's all dirty. Your quarterback probably hates you at this point because you just, <laughs> I mean, look at the Super Bowl with Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald. Donald. Made the sack on, or almost had the sack on the last play. How, I think about it all the time. How's that left tackle feel? He just got beat on the last play of the Super Bowl. We were. I was just watching something with. It was a highlight reel of Dick Budkiss, and Budkiss goes into this lineman and just like cockroaches him, levels him, coming from linebacker, and he wasn't that far away, but he was just so overpowering. This poor lineman, who is a pro athlete, who is at the top of their game, just got put on his back. How do you think that guy feels? Yeah, no kidding. Or, or the one guy who... Now, now, do you learn from that and come through the suffering? Or, like you said, do you 
sit back and sulk or quit, quit. Yeah. You have to, you have to go through that suffering in order to appreciate anything in your life. So if you were just given every, every talent in your life and you're, you're fortunate because you're given like your height and your size and everything. Yeah. But you have that from his mother, I think. Yeah, probably. And athletic ability he got from Trish. His mother, Uh, Trish Donaldson. (laughs) Yes, she 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 had a problem with us not mentioning her name uh, since she half produced you. But my wife now comes up to his ear. (laughs) It's it's hilarious. It's it's nice when your mother looks up to you. (laughs) (laughs) You've had the heart work very hard. Early on in your football career, you, being a tall kid, he wasn't fat, but he was always at the upper limits of the weight. So your first two games of football, what happened? I didn't make the weight limit. Not yeah. even tackle to tackle. And how did that feel? Felt really, really bad. I saw this look in his eye, Mike, and it, the tears started coming. He's in third grade. So, uh, of course, you don't cry anymore. It's just this was because you were in third grade. I saw the tears welling up and the bottom lip quivering. And then my bottom lip starts quivering and I start getting it. It was the worst feeling in the world. Because, I mean, that, it's all the hard work in summer practice and you're looking forward. All summer, you look forward to that first game. You don't look forward to the fifth game, the sixth game. You look forward to that first game. You're overweight in that first game and you get all of that hard work is almost, I'm not, I don't want to say out the window, but it's like. What did I do all that stuff yeah, for? What did I do that for? But he kept coming back. He didn't quit. And then what happened the second game? Do you remember? I think I made tackle a tackle. Second game, you didn't make the weight. Oh. Second game, you didn't make the weight. Then every game since that time. I made the weight. Made the weight every single time. And now when you go into the football season, and again, if you, I want everybody to look at the picture of him. He is not heavy at all. He's very lean, but he's five foot nine. You're going to carry a certain amount of mass at five foot nine. So he's you always, have to. Yeah. So he's always going to be at the upper end of the weight limit. Always, always. But now because he went through that suffering of missing those two first games in third grade, now you know what it feels like. And now you yeah. know, I'm never going to have that happen again. Would you agree with that? I would totally agree with that. I understand it. I coached little kids football for 10, 15 years. I understand a weight limit because you don't want a kid to be too big playing against. Football's a big man's game. You're teaching these kids at a young age, you can't be too big or you can't play. But now, now these guys graduating high school are 6'5", 330 pounds. They're on certain leagues in junior league football, like Pop Warner. Pop Warner. Yeah. So there's no weight limit on the line. But I got a buddy of mine, his kid, he showed me the picture. His kid was defense. This kid was offense. This kid was a monster. And he was, I think he was 10 or 11 years old. He was every bit of 200 pounds. Usually when kids are that heavy, they're not that big of a threat. They, but if they fall on you, they could hurt you. So I do, I get it. I understand both sides of it. We had uh, the high school coach, Rich Tuero. Yes. He was too heavy to play when he was a kid. Right. Here he went on to high school, went on, played Montclair State, and, you know, made a great career out of football. Well, that, I went, I went to But he was too heavy when he was young. I went to high school with a kid. I was just talking about him yesterday with a guy, grew up with him. His name's Pete Marzak. And the Marzaks were, they're Polish Catholic family. There was about 9,000 of them. But Pete was always too heavy to play junior league football. His father was actually the high school football coach at, at the high school for a short time. So it wasn't like he was adverse to playing football. He just couldn't play because he was too big. So fast forward to high school, he gets in there and he's got an aptitude for it. So one day I'm screwing around in the hallways in high school and who walks past me? It's Joe Paterno. Joe Paterno is recruiting my friend to go to Penn State. And, you know, of course I stop and get Joe Paterno's autograph. <laughs> I think I ripped the hall pass in two to get his autograph for it. Pete actually learned from not being able to play all those years that 
I have this opportunity. I better not squander it. But does it, give, does it give you the fire inside at that point? I think so because it's been taken away from yeah. you. It's been taken away. Has, have you ever watched anybody suffer where you said, wow, that, that's, that's like an ins- inspiration to you? I'd say like Marcus Luttrell. Marcus Luttrell. Explain that one. In uh, the mountains, he really got hurt and his whole, uh, his whole team got, uh, got killed and he was really hurt when he got to that small town. So you're, all, you're talking about the author of Lone Survivor. Yeah. Okay. He really got hurt when he got to that small town and then when, uh, uh, when the army or navy got to rescue him, he was back at home, and he might have been a little scratched up, but he was through it. So Marcus Luttrell, if you, and I got you a signed copy of, of Lone Survivor yeah. by Marcus. And Marcus actually reached out on your episode to, to say how much he appreciated episode nine, just to give you a little kudos. He's a big fan of me. He calls me all the time. Yeah, sure. So Marcus actually, he was shot eight times through and through. He broke his back. The rest of his his unit was all killed. It was uh, Matthew Axelson, Danny Dietz, and uh, if I die on Murphy. This mountain. If, at least I'll, if I die on and oh god, that thing killed. That, that's yeah. if I die on this mountain, just tell my wife that at least I die with my brothers. That's, I get chills every oh, time I hear that. God, I, I, I watch that and I just have to turn away a little bit. You watch that movie and listen. This is how yeah. good or bad it depends on your perspective. A parent I am. I let my son watch Lone Survivor. There's a lot in that story in, that's you in the book. Wa- you didn't let him watch. I mean, that's a good movie to watch. It's not like you're watching Harold and Kumar with him. Um, for him, I could do it. <laughs> for him, I could do it. So I've taken the approach as a parent. When I was his age, I had a truck driver's mouth. I said words that I really shouldn't have said. My parents didn't say those words. You know, they would say the normal stuff, but no, never the F word. Never, never the F word. He hears that from me all the time. See, my, my grandparents were Italian and Albanian, and they used to curse in Italian and Albanian. So I never knew they were cursing That's <laughs> until I got older. You're very lucky. But when he was younger, I said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to try a different form of parenting. He's going to hear the, and this is just my thought process and as skews it might be. He's going to hear those words. So I'm going to teach him those words. Kind of like your old man giving you a sip of beer so it gets your curiosity out there. I'm going to teach you those words, but I'm also going to teach you how to say them in front of mixed company. Like you better never yeah. curse in front of an adult. You know, if I was, if I was your age and I ever cursed in front of an adult, God, I'd get, I'd get beaten by the adult. Then they'd tell my parents and I'd get beaten again. Or even a female. Oh, you, my father used to get pissed at me. He, he'd look, he'd pull me on the side and say like, watch your mouth. You know, yeah, there's you women around. You don't talk like that around women. That, that was just, it was a chivalry thing. It was like a, a masculinity thing. When I went through that whole situation with you, did you think it was cool or did you just think it was normal? I actually thought it was kind of cool because like, I was like a kid watching grown-up movies, kind of. And I, we, would, we would go through it. And there, there are certain things, though, I won't let you watch. Listen, I'm not a total idiot as a parent. <laughs> I was just going to say, but <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> there are certain things I will not allow. That's why he's always on his phone on the couch. <laughs> you think, I'm, you think I'm, I don't know that he's looking at some stuff that he shouldn't be looking at? I'm watching TikTok. Yeah, you're watching TikTok. Right. Is that what you right. kids call it today? <laughs> <laughs> there, there was a reason I do it. Now, in school, and I want you to be honest with this, nobody's going to get in trouble, and I don't want you to mention any names. I'm sure your friends curse. I've heard it, so I know it's true. Yeah. All Especially right. in football, though. you got to curse in football. Well, you you know, you come you know, up- The only guy who never cursed in football is Tim Tebow. <laughs> <laughs> he was afraid that the Jesus would, would hear him. Yeah. But I've walked up on groups in football practice, and somebody will throw out an F-bomb, 
And I'm like, and you know, I have to be the adult, which I hate to be the adult. Like, whoa, guys, watch your mouth. Like, watch your mouth, guys. <laughs> but your kid, your friends curse. Now, do you think that you curse as much or less than your friends curse in mixed company? In mixed company, I uh, what what type of mixed company? Like with your around your friends, do you find them cursing more than something that might come out of your mouth? We all curse the same, just around each other, but around. Other people, like if we're at a party or something, they'll definitely curse more than me. They'll curse more than you because I've tried my best to teach you that control. And that's what it's all about. It's about control. You're going to say those words. You're going to hear those words. It's in every movie. It's in tons of songs. So why don't I expose you to it, teach you how to control it, and have you move forward in an educated way where you can make your own decision when those times are appropriate? But how how do you teach your kid not to curse and... What do you do? You, you curse, you send him to his room, he puts on the radio or puts on a record and the, uh, all you hear is cursing. Cardi B, Cardi, Cardi B, B song. B. Yeah, Cardi B song. It, it, she's got some nasty lyrics in there, but it's every every song now. What's your favorite Motley Crue song? Because I've turned my son into a Motley Crue fan. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, that's good parenting. Speaking of that, when, when Derek Taylor walked in, I mean, that had to be pretty cool for you too. He's, yeah. a, he's a guitar player from- yeah. From Overkill. Who's played with Motley Crue. We, yeah. we sat down here and we actually talked. He ta- told us some Motley Crue stories. Because, listen, that's that's my first love as for music is Motley Crue. It's always been that way. Grew up with them. And unfortunately, they're not what they used to be. <laughs> but I've turned my son into a Motley Crue was fan. That, was that after your Debbie Gibson phase? Tiffany. Oh, Tiffany. Yeah, <laughs> Tiffany. I was never Debbie Gibson. Children, I was more children behave. I was, I was, I was team Tiffany. <laughs> <laughs> Going to the malls to go see her play. <laughs> Now, your friends, they, they find out you're a Motley Crue fan. Do they make fun of you? Not so much. I mean, they kind of just joke around about it, but yeah. it's... It, what do they say? What do they say? I'm interested. They're like, Motley Crue, because it kind of sounds... It kind of looks funny. None of them are British, by the way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everybody says, oh, Motley Crue. <laughs> no, they're American. They're American, yes, they are. But it is the best music ever. Yeah. There is I mean, no- what, what are your friends like? Do they all listen to rap and all that stuff now? Yeah, like uh, King Von or... Uh, Polo G. I don't even know who two, both of those people Neil are. Neil I have no. Pop Smoke? Nope. So the Super Bowl, speaking of, speaking of how disconnected I am, so the Super Bowl, you had Snoop Dogg, you had Dr. Dr. Dre, Dre, you had Mary J. Blige, M&M. and you had Eminem. 50, right? cent. 50 Cent. And 50 Cent. Or is it 50 Cent or is it 50? It, 50. 50. 50. It's 50. actually 50, 50 pounds because that's how much he's gained. Yeah. No, he never left the candy shop. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good one, Pat. When I watched those, I wasn't really interested. It's not my style of music. But when I watched that, I was like, uh, okay, there's a lot of big stars on here and everything. I go on social media and everybody's making fun of the old timers that are up on the stage. I go, what? And then I start thinking about it. I'm like, well, Dr. Dre, he was in- uh, Two Live Crew, wasn't it? Not Two Live Crew. Straight out of Compton, Ice Cube. God, why can't I think? But anyway, so he he was in the very beginnings of like a gangster rap genre, West, ev- West Coast rap. But everybody everybody was making fun of these old guys up on stage, and the kids had no idea who they who they were. I couldn't believe that's true. But you're just telling me names, and and usually I'll hear names. You know, I, I read a lot. Yeah, I've never heard one of those people you just spoke about. And NWA was. It was it, Mike just looked it up. It was NWA that Dr. Dre was in. They're they're Compton, LA, and I actually drove through Compton when I was in LA. It's only it's very small. You don't realize it. It's, it's like a city block. You know, it wasn't that bad. I drove I drove straight through it. You have a lot of different difficulties that people don't realize 
as a kid today. And I look at them from my perspective, like you can't get away with anything because there's always a camera on you. Yeah. So you are now officially described as a tween until you hit 13 and you're a teen. You're an in-between. You have but they're, some- they're going to name this generation soon. I think right? they are. You got the, he's, he's not a millennial. He's not Generation X or Generation Y. I'm Generation Z. You're Gen Z? Yeah, I'm the, I'm the last of it. You're, you're at the tail end of Gen Z. Yeah. I wonder what the bad well, traits. I was, was going to say, what comes after Z then? Do we start back at A? <laughs> Generation double A. <laughs> and where was Generation A? I don't I, I remember Generation X. That's it. Yeah. What happened before that? There was no generations? What generation are you? Are you Gen X? I couldn't even tell you. Yeah, I don't know what the-, the 1966. Uh, well, generation hippie. Yeah. Whatever it is. Pre-Woodstock. So what are some of the difficulties that you deal with on a daily basis that, that other people might not understand besides getting in fights in school and getting four-day suspensions? <laughs> which which someone was very proud of, but... Yeah, that, that, it, it, I was proud. Proud moment. <laughs> I was proud that what I was aggravated... So, my, so Patrick gets into a fist fight, which people in my generation, we all got into fist Happened fights. Happened every day yeah. after school. Everybody got into fist fights, and it was how you worked out your difference. It was it was how you erased conflict in your life. You yeah. fought it out, and then you were done. But these days, you can't do that. So Patrick gets mad at one of the kids in school. They get into a fight. Patrick gets suspended for four days. Patrick was, I guess, the kid was saying something to you. Don't get into too too much specifics. Yeah. But he was saying something to you, and you just had it, right? Yeah. He said your father's podcast sucked. <laughs> 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 yeah, and Patrick stuck up to stuck up to what he saw as bullying. So I was kind of proud of him. Like I won. I, you won. I, as a, as a parent, I was kind of proud of you. Where I got upset with you was that you did it in front of cameras. But then I realized cameras are everywhere, and there's no getting away from them. And and the schools are so heavy handed with anti bullying and things stuff. And bullies bullying is a bad thing. You know, I w- I always have taught you since you were a little kid. You stand up to bullies. Yeah. And if you see somebody bullying somebody else, you step in between. Mm-hmm. So you've done a lot. You're, you play all these different sports. I know you do well in school. But what would you consider your greatest accomplishment as a child? As in, a kid, I'm sorry, you're not a child anymore. As a tween. In school or out of school? Either. Uh, probably being able to wake up and run and then go to the gym. Yeah. So. Patrick goes to the gym with me every morning. Or not every morning. He goes with me Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I get up very early. The gym opens at 5 o'clock. I'm up earlier than that to do cardio. And then he goes to the gym with me. And this, this is a, I'm just going to share a proud dad moment. I to- told him when he wanted to come to the gym, I will never wake you up. Because his mother was real afraid that he wasn't going to get enough sleep. I'm never going to wake you up. But if you're his, mo- his mother, Trish Donaldson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you tell a 12-year-old. You got to be up at 4.45, and if you're up, you you can come to the gym with me. I think you've missed one day because you, you didn't set your alarm. One day you weren't feeling well, but the other day you you didn't yeah. set your alarm yeah. properly or something like that. Yeah. So this kid's up every day. You know, and I'm at the gym at 5 o'clock every morning, and I really respect – I see a lot of, like, high school kids in there. Now, I know I didn't have that motivation when I was in high school. I have a lot of love for people that are, are actually getting up at that time, at that age. Listen, when I was, I didn't even want to lift weights when I was in high school. Well, think of, think about this from a parent perspective. When you first started going to a gym, Mike, there were certain rules that people don't adhere to now. You racked your weights, all right. Yeah. You wiped, you know, you you cleaned up after yourself. You were respectful to other people. That's not so these days. So I, as a parent, have and if you ever left a weight on a bar, you would get embarrassed, and sometimes you'd even get thrown out of the gym. 
these were really hardcore gyms back in the day. I get the ability to teach him all that different gym etiquette. And I get to spend some time with my son. It's it's great for me. And he gets to work out. We did have to lie about a little bit about his age, though. Yeah. That's <laughs> not tough to do. Yeah, I mean, look at him. He's taller than me. <laughs> I don't think anybody ever questioned that. No. So I'm I'm ultra proud of you for getting thank up. God, thank God the gym owners don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> they are they do follow us on on Instagram oh, no. though. They do. I'm not kidding you. So you you have this sports life. You have the, you go to the gym in the morning. How do you find uh, you balance school and work? Because I know you're a very good student. Yeah. Well, in school, I really don't think about sports, and then vice versa. And I just concentrate on that one thing that I'm doing right now. And in between, I do find some time to uh, hang out with my friends and stuff. But also homework and stuff. I usually finish in school because I. I know I don't want homework, and usually there's no written homework. If you don't finish it, you got to do it for homework. I try to finish my work as fast as I can, and then I get the little time to, like, hang out with my friends and stuff, and then sports. So I mean, that, that's a great trait to have, though, that, that the maturity that you have at that age to be able to separate. Like you said, I don't think about sports when I'm in school. I don't think about school when I'm in sports. He and also that's great to, to be able to differentiate that. I've been embedding in him since he was young. That in order to be a great athlete, you must be a great student. Because with, with if you're a great student, it's going to take you to the next level. One can't happen without the Athletics other. Athletics are only going to take you so far. Correct. But your schooling is going to take you further. I used to tell my daughter that, too. She, she had a track scholarship to Sacred Heart. And I told her, I said, listen, track's only going to take you so far. It's your Track got you into co- or track and her grades got her into college. But the education is going to be more important than whatever you did in track. Some kids aren't as uh, as intellectually gifted as other kids. So what sports does is it's a great equalizer. So you have certain kids that are ultra intelligent, but they not might not play any sports. Yeah. Uh, colleges, some colleges are going to want them. All right, but they're a dime a dozen. Where if you have a great athlete who is maybe not as intelligent as the most intelligent, but pretty smart. Guess what? Colleges are going to be all over them, and that's ultimately what you want to do. You want to try yeah. to get your education paid for. What what are your plans for moving forward in your collegiate education? I do want to go to a military academy. Why would you want to go to a military academy? To serve. To serve. Which one? Which one do you want to get to? Either Navy or West Point. So we visited West Point. Yeah. We haven't visited Annapolis yet. And we got a neighbor down the street that is pushing him hard to go to West Point. Listen, that's what you need. That is the most honorable thing that anybody could do, is go to one of these service academies. And again, as a parent, this is more about the relationship of a parent and a kid right now. Because from a parent's perspective, yes, I'm all for you going to a military school. Your mother's not not there yet. (laughs) So you'll go into college. You'll get your college paid for. Yeah. You'll get a top-notch education. And when you go out into the workforce, forget about sports for a second. Now, when you go out into a workforce, you have leadership skills, you have a great education, and you have no college debt. You go serve a couple years as a second lieutenant, you come out as an officer, it, it's a pretty good deal. They sell a pretty good package. You make money in college. The job, you, you could pick whatever job you want. Right. If, if you're going up against, listen, let, let's take like the two big colleges. Let's say Notre Dame and Stanford. Two great colleges. Three people applying for a job. Notre Dame graduate, Stanford graduate, and military academy graduate. Guaranteed a military guy gets a job over now. And they get paid in college. They get half pay. Yeah. So how, how do you how do you how do you turn that down? <laughs> well we had we had Brad down here too. 
Oh, Brad. So, yeah, our friend Brad is a West Point grad. Played football. Played football for West Point. He's, he's a mountain of a man. You met him. Yeah. You took his picture before. Yeah. He <laughs> looks like uh, the mountain from Game of Thrones. He'd tell you all about it. And our neighbor, our neighbor gives him all these West Point gifts, try to lure him because he knows he wants to go to a military academy. He's like, ah, you don't want to go to West Point. You want to go to you're, uh, Annapolis. You want to go to West Point. Well, you know, I mean, if your neighbor listens to this, which he probably doesn't, you know, I, I could always use some, some West Point swag. <laughs> He got him. He got him a, a true cadet's hat from West Point. He got him one of their wool hats, which is nothing special. But if another West Point, it's one of those things. Like if you see an academy shirt, you're like, yeah, what academy did you go to? Where a normal person just it's just a thing with a number on it. Your drive is admirable, Patrick. But what do you think that adults? What what don't they understand about kids? Well, it's they don't really understand like that. It's a lot different than when they were kids than now like there's a lot of different things the fashions are totally different the music's totally different and i don't think uh, parents or even adults really get that you know and that's the crazy thing too i mean this is how i i dress the same way i did when i was growing up now it's a fashion trend like every week if you don't have the what are they sweezies those, those sneakers yeezys yeezys is that what it is? yeah yeezys they're the ugliest things ever yeah but it's a no, fashion no. statement now you saw the wrong one. My, yeah, they're, they're awful, and they're they're. I saw them in the store, like two hundred ninety dollars. The ones that look like Crocs. Yeah, yeah. But Mike, we had parachute pants. Yes, we did. Cavaricis. Cavaricis. So capizios. Is it really? <laughs> what's worse? Do you ever see a pair of parachute pants? It yeah. looks like something right out of a Michael Jackson movie uh, music video. MC Hammer. MC Hammer. Oh, the MC oh. Hammer pants. <laughs> and there's a guy that still remember the Zumas, the gym pants. Yeah. yeah. So there's a guy in Had the, them. There's a guy. I'm sure he did. <laughs> so there's a guy in our gym that wears them, and he is stuck in the '80s. All right, now He's a what chance. about what about like gorilla wear and T Michael? Remember the oh remember my the old workouts? The, with the, it was. Uh, it was the sweatshirts that were already cut. <laughs> yeah, you didn't have to cut them. So being gym guys, there was, there was a whole fashion industry that was related to the gym industry. Like I still have some Gold's Gym stuff, yeah. some, but they were like three-quarter sleeve stuff. It was, but we have a guy- well, They had the real slinky tank tops. Oh, with the string? Yes. Yeah, yeah so string you're, you're, you're at, your nipples actually showed. It's, it's <laughs> off-putting. And now it, there's one guy in the gym, he's held on to that. Because there, he wears the string tank tops. He wears the Zumas, the workout pants. He's got the gold neck chains. His hair is done perfect. I, he's just like, bro, you got to give it up, man. It's time. Yeah. How do you see a how do you see somebody like that? It, it kind of looks like, kind of looks like a douchebag, kind of. <laughs> do you look at him just like idiot? Yeah. <laughs> did we did we do that? Yeah, absolutely. But you but people our age, Mike. When I was Patrick's age, I looked at people our age. I'm like, wow, they're really old. Back in the day, T-shirts used to come with scissors because you had to cut every T-shirt you had. You had to make it your like your own. You had to cut the sleeves off, cut the neck down a little bit, you know, cut it off at the waist so it didn't hang down your ass. You didn't have time to actually naturally wear it down. You had to you had to make it work. Now, so what's another what's another thing you think adults don't understand about children? It's got to be tough growing up in it. Like, what was it like? Your father and I would never know anything about this because we didn't even have computers when we were in school. Right. The information is crazy that these kids get. What was it like during a pandemic when you couldn't go to school and you had to be at home? Uh, it was awful. Our eyes, we, we have these laptops and they would lose connection all the time. It was just terrible in general. It's all 
electronic, no, nothing like papers. No, nothing. In, no interaction with your friends or anything no, like not that. At I mean, all. That that's something that we would never. Could you imagine if this pandemic happened when we were in school in the eighties? It would be, it would be totally shut down. You'd you'd lose a year of your life. I don't think lockdowns would have happened if if it was no, probably not. We we couldn't. It was just impossible to do it because nobody can. You can't work from home. You can't telecommute because there's there was in the eighties there was no internet. No cell phones. No, they were, but they look like a briefcase. <laughs> you look like you're calling from a from a hot landing zone. You know, <laughs> they were as big as these microphones. Yeah, they were. Yeah. Well, they they actually, I I remember them. They they were like this big, and you had to carry around a briefcase with them. <laughs> and then the first one my brother got was probably I don't know eight nine inches big. So it was it was kind of crazy. But you have all this information at your fingertips, makes it very easy. But that during that pandemic, yes, you you still kept up with your educational work, but you missed out on a year of social activities. Yeah, I mean, education and social are kind of almost the same thing. Social interactions help a lot with ed- education, and it's really hard to go to school without any real social interactions. You know, everything you do in your life evolves around social social interaction. You know, you don't have that social interaction for that full year. You lost out on that. Every business deal you make, you're making it with a person. So that, that's that's interacting skills. You know, even even like they say, some of the best business deals are made on golf courses. You right. Know, well, that's a relationship skill. It's a relationship skill. You know, you're not playing golf by yourself making business deals. So that's where the interaction with these people come in. Because they didn't, they lost a whole year, year and a half for in, in, interaction. Well, that's where our generation raising our kids, and your kids are millennials, though, right? Twenty four and twenty. So they're they're technically millennials. I know. So I saw the way millennials were going with the lack of interaction skills and social skills, and that's why I I work on my children very closely. Like, no relationships are are skills. You can be the smartest person in the world, but if you can't talk to anybody, you're going nowhere. Yeah. And that's a, that, like I said, that's a whole year of social skills out the window. Right. When you, when you finally do grow up and I hope it doesn't happen too soon, <laughs> what do you think the ultimate level of success that you would want to reach is? Probably going to like uh, special forces or special operations. So you want to be a military guy? Yeah. And beyond the military is you want to be a career military person? Uh, either career military or going to NFL. <laughs> aim high brother aim high just don't become a cop yeah don't become not now you don't want to become a cop become a fireman <laughs> yeah. and, and don't say you want to do a podcast <laughs> listen you have the studio yeah maybe that's what he could do he could start up his own podcast all we got to do is change these these mic cubes and we'll call it the pubert podcast <laughs> <laughs> i'm pubert i'm pubert and we're here today with <laughs> so what do you think on the opposite end of that what do you what would you consider your ultimate failure Ultimate failure. Doing a podcast every Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimate failure would probably be like uh, not even getting into college or failing all my classes or failing anything athletic, just not getting into any colleges or any anything to do with sports. Do you ever have nightmares about that? Not really, but I kind of think about it sometimes. So how do you guard against that ever happening? Just have a uh, don't have a fixed mindset and a uh, growth mindset, and also the word yet. Explain that. I'm not. I'm not going into NFL. So I'm not going into NFL yet. I'm not getting into college. I'm not getting into college yet. 
So change your vernacular on that. And are you, you, you realize, though, in order to get to those places, you have to put in a tremendous amount of work. Yeah. All right. And that's the important thing. It's never going to be given to you. You know, back in the day, back when I was working, I used to be an instructor in our junior police academy. It was seventh graders going into eighth grade. And obviously, one thing we said was you can't curse and all that. And I told him, I said, one word I do not want to hear in this whole academy is can't. I hate that word. If you think you can't, then you won't. I heard it, I heard it put this way. If you think you can, you're right. And if you, if think, you think you can't, can't, you're right. You're right. Yep, exactly. The defeatist mindset. So how do you guard against having a defeatist mindset? Basically, I I just forget about it. I forget about it and focus on something else. If I like something's bad on my mind, like something bad, I just go do something else, like something that I like, like play football or play with my friends. So tell our audience you put in all this hard work, both school, sports, training. Tell me how hard work has made you better. It's definitely made me stronger, faster, and smarter. It's maybe a better person. Definitely have more social intelligence, I guess you could say. And it's just helped me a lot with all my sports. It made me a better athlete, maybe a better scholar. So do you think all kids should do that stuff? Definitely. So we're coming to the end of this thing, Patrick. And it was I was fast, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, like we, fast. feels like we just sat down. I would. I ask every guest this same question. You have different sufferings that people don't realize. Being, I thought you were going to ask him what he thought of episode nine. <laughs> <laughs> Did you listen to episode nine? No. Uh, oh. Oh, oh man, you just destroyed Mike's ego. My God. Like I said, we're coming to the end of this thing, and I ask all the guests the same question. You've gone through this this group of suffering, and. There's certain things that being a kid, people, adults really don't realize because they think because you have no financial responsibilities, it must be really easy on you, which couldn't be any further from the truth. And the reason that I wanted to sit down with you was to talk about some of the difficulties that you face on a daily basis and the indecisiveness and the hormonal things and the insecurities. I always want to know is what do you think the suffering that you've gone through has taught you? It's taught me definitely to be a better person and kind of be more aware. All this suffering has helped me in not only school, but I'll be a person and sports. You know, the, the main thing at, at your age is, is the world is in front of you. Listen, you're, you, I've known you for over a year now, and I, I know you're a well-rounded kid. I mean, your father talks all the time about, about you and your brother and how proud he is of you. Just never quit. Set your goal. And go after that goal. You're going to fail at points, but take that failure and make something out of it. You know, always, always push and always thrive to be a better person. And I could see that in you. I, I think you're going to, you're going to grow up to be a, better than your father anyway. It's <laughs> not a real high bar though, Mike. Hopefully. Well, and listen, you know, hopefully, listen, you don't, don't set your standards too high. Just say, I want to be better than my father. And I think you're at that stage already. So you cross that goal. Patrick, thank you very much for coming down and sitting here and talking with us. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so It was such a far drive. <laughs> and that's going to do it for this episode of The Suffering Podcast, The Suffering of a Kid with Patrick Donaldson. So let's think about all the stuff we learned today. We learned that discipline is the most admirable trait. Get used to using the word yet. Don't have a fixed mindset. If you think you can, you're right. And if you think you can't, you're right. But most importantly, suffering gives you a grand prize at the end. 
And that's going to do it for this episode of The Suffering Podcast, The Suffering of Kids with Patrick Donaldson. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, all forms of social media. And, and Patrick's mother, Trish Donaldson. <laughs> <laughs> Join us next time on The Suffering Podcast. Everybody have a good night.